Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Our Sympathetic High Priest. In our last study, we learned the power of God's Word. How God uses His Word, the Bible, as a tool that enables us to diligently enter into the rest of God. To answer any questions that we have. To establish us. To strengthen us. To instruct us. To correct us. We learned last time that the Bible is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is also a discerner of our hearts and thoughts and the intents of our heart. And it was written to a group of Jewish believers, the book of Hebrews, the reminder of the sufficiency of God's grace through Jesus Christ and the power of his word, it was written to a group of people that were being tempted away from the simplicity of the gospel. They lived their whole lives in anticipation of the coming Messiah, Savior. They lived under what is known as the Old Covenant in a religious system that God instituted known as Judaism where they would have temple worship with the incense and the sacrifice and the formalism but they were all just shadows and pictures and types of Jesus Christ who was to come. And Jesus came. And many of the Jewish believers embraced the fullness of their relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. But over time, and we don't know exactly how long, but over time they began to drift and they began to become dull and even hard-hearted and stiff-necked toward the things of God, and they want to go backwards, and they want to go back to Judaism. They were at a critical crossroads in their lives, tempted away from the simplicity of the gospel. And let me just say, we are all tempted in many ways to leave the simplicity of the gospel, to leave just a simple relationship with God, to know today that he loves us and we love him, and that he's promised to lead us and guide us and to help us. He's promised never to leave or forsake us. He's promised that anytime we open the Bible, he'll help us understand it, that, that he'll enable us, that, that he has exchanged his life and the fullness of his power for our lives and the weakness of our own sin, that he exchanged the sinless for the sinful. But there's always somebody coming along that wants to tempt you away from simplicity, there's always some new YouTube video. There's always some post on Facebook. There's some new book that comes out, some new TV show that's on that want to tempt us away from the gospel. Complicated theologies, even man-made traditions. I was reading recently, and Jesus scolded and rebuked the religious leaders of his day for doing this. He said, you know what you guys are doing? You need to stop doing this, that you're laying these heavy burdens on people teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And really what he was saying is you're becoming legalistic. You are legalistic. You are getting in the way of people worshiping me. And one, what was once so sweet and enjoyable 
that intimate, life-transforming relationship with God can so quickly become rigid, ritualistic, routine, and even legalistic. The church in Ephesus experienced this. You know, we read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, and we learn how the church there was filled with every spiritual blessing. I mean, they had everything that they needed. They had all the gifts and all the wonderful relationships. They were growing in grace, reaching their city, not unlike our own church. We lack nothing. God has given us everything in our church, all that we need by our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yet, just a few years later, in the book of Revelation, Jesus jots a little note to them, and he tells that same church that had everything, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And it's possible for all of us to be tempted away with some man-made doctrine, some man-made theology. And I think it's this battle with these temptations that really tend to rob us of our rest, especially when we take the bait. And so they were longing, this group, for the familiarity and the formalism of their worship experience back in the temple with the incense, the sacrifices, the priesthood, even the high priest, which we learn in verse 14, it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now remember the overarching theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. He's greater than anything that we have experienced thus far. You know, for example, with the Hebrew believers in particular, he's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than Moses, greater than Abraham. On and on the list goes. And now, for those of you who've been reading ahead, from chapter four on through about chapter eight, we're going to learn about how Jesus is the greater or the superior high priest. That, that he is greater in every way, the preeminent one, that he alone has provided salvation for us through his death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, that he is the true representative of man to God, that he is the great, as it says, high priest. Because there are those that would want to elevate themselves above man and even above God's word. Let me show you something. Would you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5? Because I want to teach you something, and I want to show it to you in your own Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Because man cannot elevate his voice above the word of God. The voice of man is not the final authority in your life. The final authority in your life is the word of God. And so nobody can come along and say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do this. And I know what the Bible says, but we're going to add this. And I know what the Bible says, but in this religious system, this is what we do. No man's voice can supersede the voice of God through his word. Are you guys with me? Can you get an amen on that? Don't allow anyone from this pulpit, from any religious system, to set themselves up as the final voice of authority in your life. Because the final voice of authority in your life is your great high priest, Jesus Christ. And nobody speaks greater or grander. Nobody changes anything in the Bible. Nobody should add anything into the Bible. And if they do, reject them. And I started thinking in my own life because I was thinking, you know, I've been teaching here for almost 19 years. 
and I taught back in our previous church at Calvary Chapel in Downey for probably another seven years uh, back then. And I was thinking, you know, uh, to this day, to my knowledge, I haven't taught anything false. I haven't taught any heresy. And I'm very grateful for that. I've stumbled over my words a few times and I've misstated something or misspoke or messed up a Greek definition. I've, I've made my fair share of mistakes for sure, but not some bad, weird, false teaching. And let me just say, if there is ever a bad, weird, false teaching, just throw your Bibles at me. No, don't, don't do that. But don't accept it. You're to do what the Bible says. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So there is no one that is to set themselves up as the way to God. There is no one on the planet that has been appointed by God by which you need to go through. For example, what religion does, religion sets up barriers and layers that you need to go through in order to get through God. You need to do this, you need to say this, you need to go through this, you need to go back and say these things, and then maybe God will accept you. That is not what the Bible teaches. Listen, come with me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. So let me just, let's test ourselves. How many mediators are there between God and man? Just one. Not two, not ten, not succession. When one dies, they appoint another. Only one. Let's find out his name. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself ransom for all to be testified in due time. There is no human priest on the planet Earth today that you need to go through to get to God. There, there is no person that would set themselves up as the final authority of God's word in order for you to go through in order to get to God. Today, by faith in Jesus Christ, everyone can have access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Everyone. Nothing special that needs to take place except for you to repent of your sins and be born again. Every true born-again believer has access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week through the one mediator. His name, the man, Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? You don't have to go through some system. You don't have to go through some religion. You don't have to follow all the steps. Just cry out to God through Jesus Christ and you're there. And so Jesus is the great high priest. Notice in verse 14 back in Hebrews, he has passed through the heavens because Jesus Christ, he is the one that came and lived and died and rose again. He resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. He passed through the heavens. And in this topic of the great high priest, we're gonna go through these things and I'm gonna teach you these things about what the Bible has to say about the priesthood. Because today in the New Testament, the old priesthood of the old covenant has been replaced with Jesus Christ. So that now we believe in what the Bible teaches in Peter, in the priesthood of all believers. That by faith in Jesus Christ, we now are able to serve God just like the priests. Because in the Old Testament, when God gave the law to Moses from Mount Sinai, God instituted the old covenant priesthood. It, it had to be, the priest had to be from the family of Aaron through the line of Levi. And we often refer that it to, we often refer to that priesthood as the Levitical priesthood or the Aaron, Aaron, I messed it up before too, the Aaronic priesthood. 
And I'm going to explain that to you. As a matter of fact, in some of the studies, because I've been studying ahead, in some of the studies, we're going to come, I'm going to bring to you a study in Leviticus, I think, chapter 17. We're going to go through a Bible study in Leviticus in a couple of weeks just to prove to you that you can read Leviticus and understand it, but also to explain to you the priesthood because we need to know and understand what the Bible has to say in, in its entirety. And so we'll be explaining more of that as this next section of Hebrews really emphasizes the role of the priesthood. We're going to meet a guy by the name of Melchizedek in chapter 5. Notice in verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also said in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the priesthood is not centered on Aaron, but on Jesus Christ. And so much so is Jesus a priest that the Aaronic priesthood is done away with and replaced by the New Covenant high priest, Jesus Christ. So notice a couple things about this. Number one, what is his claim to priesthood? Well, notice he's, the, he's Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the son of God. He's not referred to as the son of David because the emphasis of the authority of his priesthood is, his, is Jesus' deity, not his humanity. Remember, Jesus, he is God's son. He is God in human flesh where he had both humanity and deity in the same time. He had two natures, God in human flesh. And here Jesus, he comes in the authority of deity. And because we have a high priest, and because he's passed through the heavens, sitting now at the right hand of the Father, because he is God in human flesh, notice, we can hold fast our confession. Don't abandon your faith. Your faithful high priest has gone before you. Your faithful high priest has gone before you. Number two, notice his closeness. Not only his claim, but his closeness. Verse 15. And this is where we'll spend the remainder of our time today in verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, your great high priest, is always near to you. He knows you. He knows our nature. He knows our frame. Jesus has endured every temptation that you have, even as even as we faced time after time again the temptation this way and the temptation to go that way, the temptation towards sin. Jesus says, it says that he was tempted in all ways, in all points, but without sin. I mean, that's good news. Jesus understands what you've gone through. Remember back in the Gospel of Luke, it was Luke tells us that the devil, he, he led Jesus, into, the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to meet the devil and the devil tempted him there. Three temptations. Basically, he faced the temptations that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And as he faced each temptation, he was able to overcome them the same way you and I overcome them in the power of the Holy Spirit. The temptations that Jesus faced were not only to show, that he, show us that he was sinless and pure, but also that he related to us in our humanity. That he would be able to sympathize with us. Do you know, 
It's always good to have someone in your life that can sympathize with your situation, that can understand you. You know, when you're talking to someone about a situation in life, uh, maybe you've met them for the first time or you're sharing your testimony, and their response to you is something like, you know, I've experienced that too. Doesn't a defense go down in your heart? You're like, wow, I've met someone that's gone through what I've gone through. And no, maybe not exactly. Because none of us really experience exactly the same things because of our makeup and our upbringing and who we are and our personalities. But in general, it's really good to have someone in our lives that can understand a little bit of what we've gone through, that can understand from personal experience. It brings a little more comfort into our lives just to know that, man, we've gone through this together and we're going through this together. Well, listen, Jesus knows you personally. He knows all that you faced. He's walked in the same broken human body that you walk in. And the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 13, that God is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he understands how weak we are, that we're just dust. He understands and he sympathizes with his creation. You know, it's too easy in our lives to turn the focus of our difficulties back upon ourselves. It's too easy to emphasize our own weaknesses and our own failures and our own doubts and our own anxieties, kind of inching up right to that line of self-pity and, and selfishness. And we're right there and we just, we kind of begin to see the weight and feel the weight of all the difficulties in life and then right up on the edge and say, you know, you know, woe is me and how difficult it is and I'm a victim of this and I'm struggling with that and it's just part of the the weakness but see when Jesus faced those temptations he was able to face them without sin he was able to reveal to us that there is victory in him do you know the Bible says that Jesus Christ always leads us in victory that when we're following Jesus Christ we're walking in his victory that his victory is already ours that what you brought into the room today, what you're living in, the weight that are on your shoulders, the things that are in your mind, Jesus is the great high priest who sympathizes with your weakness. He's not pointing at you and judging you for your weakness. He's not pointing at you and saying, what kind of believer are you? What's your problem? But instead, he sympathizes. The word literally means to have compassion on, as we see in Psalm 103. It means to be affected by another's sufferings. And I believe Jesus even takes it one step further where not only does he sympathize, but he also empathizes. And he comes alongside of us and he encourages us along the way. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter one, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter one. We know this. No one can really sympathize with someone else unless they've been through a similar experience. I mean, we can have feelings with someone. We can come alongside them. We can point them to the Lord as we should. But it's when we have the similar experience that there's a connection that's made. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, has shared our experiences and therefore can understand the testings which we endure. As we look to the left and we look to the right and nobody seems to understand us, as we look up and we see Jesus high and lifted up, he understands And that brings great comfort to my heart. However, he also helps us to serve one another. And notice this in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our tribulations. Is that what your Bible says? Does that you see the word all? Circle that. In all our tribulation. There isn't a tribulation here today. There isn't a difficulty in your life. There isn't an issue in your mind. There's not an opposition that you face. There's not a a stumbling that you might have that God will not comfort you in all the tribulation that it brings. That we might be able to comfort others that are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you'll partake of the consolation or the comfort. You know, Paul the Apostle found great comfort in his relationship with Jesus Christ. Even as you face storms and tragedies, sorrows and pains, you will find God to be a great comfort in your life. He's the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. But not only will you find comfort, you will find hope. And not only will you find hope, but you'll find strength. And in that strength, God will begin to use you to comfort others. Because you wonder sometimes, don't you? I certainly do. I have these questions in my mind from time to time. I don't know why God is allowing this. I mean, after all, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have allowed it. I wouldn't even want anyone else to experience it. And we sometimes think, why did God allow this? Why does he allow this difficulty? Why do you allow this trial? You know, I'm reminded of Joseph and all the things that he faced, all the difficulties that came into his life. You know, if you were to ask today, well, what happened to Joseph? Because we know the end of his life. We know that he ends up in Egypt. We know that God uses him to provide food for his family and for the nation. We know that God reconciles with his family. We know the end, but Joseph didn't know the end. And if you were to ask him in the pit, hey, hey, Joseph, how'd you get in the pit? I'm sure that his answer would have been, my stinking rotten brothers sold me. They betrayed me. And indeed, they did threw him in a pit and they came and released him and then they sold him and you know Joseph's like hey it's all all these things are these people are against me and then each step of the way where he finds himself in Potiphar's house and then he's betrayed in Potiphar's house then he finds himself in prison then he's forgotten in prison and then finally he's elevated to that place of second in command in Egypt that he has these dreams and he was told put some food away because a famine is coming and God used him greatly And I'm sure today, if we were to do a Bible trivia, you know, who, how did Joseph get, how did Joseph get to Egypt? The answer would probably be his brothers. His brothers sent him there. But do you know that the Bible says that God sent him there? God sent him to Egypt. And God sent him to the pit. And God sent him to the house of Potiphar. And God sent him to prison. And eventually God sent him to Egypt. Why are you facing what you're facing today? Because God is using it for his glory. You think of Daniel. You know, I wonder how Daniel felt. I mean, we kind of think of Daniel. You think of some of these guys in the Bible as like superheroes of faith, but they were human. So we know that some of the, some of the issues in people's lives are revealed to us, like Elijah. You know, like, like we, we see 
him victory on Mount Carmel and then running away emotionally afraid of Jezebel. We see the reality of human beings. And I wonder what Daniel felt like. Like, man, what's going on? Thrown into the lion's den. And we think, why would God throw Daniel into the lion's den? Well, for all the things that we read of in the scriptures of why he was in the lion's den, I'll tell you one thing that he threw Daniel in the lion's den to encourage us some few thousand years later when we find ourselves under equally scary situations. Because we can remember, you know what? Daniel was able to stand in the face of a lion. I'll be able to stand in the face of whatever God allows me or sends my way. God allows these things so we might he might reveal to us his goodness and his comfort and his mercy. So that when it's over, and by the way, it will be over soon enough. So that when it's over, we can be used as his tool to bring comfort and encouragement to others. Because you know, when times are easy... When times are easy, we tend to forget about the Lord. We tend to forget about his faithfulness. You know, you start out desperate for the things of God, but then when God begins to bless and he begins to show up, we become less desperate. And we become less dependent. And we find ourselves making serious mistakes. But then when trials and difficulties come, we learn of our great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And if there's one thing that we carry with us every day is our weaknesses. We're a weak people. God is attracted to weakness. God values weakness in your life. He values brokenness and humility. We don't value that so much. We want to be strong. We want to make it. We want to do it on our own. We want to show ourselves faithful on behalf of God. And then when weakness comes, it's almost like we do everything that we can to not dwell in that weakness submissive to God. But God is attracted to weakness. Weakness is so powerful in your life. That's the irony. The irony of our human weakness is that God is strong in the midst of our weakness. As we learn from Paul the Apostle, as he cries out in a weak time, this thorn in his side, the answer from God was what? Hey, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. We are so often crying, to be, crying out to be delivered from the trial. Please don't stop. Don't stop crying out to be delivered from the trial. But what I have found to be true is that God doesn't always just plop us out of a trial, but rather he delivers us through the trial. He shows his presence in our lives. He reveals a new facet of his character to us. Why? So that we might be comforted in all our tribulation, that we might then comfort others as they're going through things. That's the body of Christ. That's the family of God. And what happens when we're experiencing comfort from our great high priest, notice verse 16, because of that, let's come boldly into the throne of grace. You could write, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can just write next to verse 16, prayer. He's speaking about prayer. Our great high priest being a comfort to us encourages us to pray boldly, that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace because of our great high priest. And there's three things that you're going to find when you come into the throne of grace. Number one, you're going to obtain mercy. You see that? Obtain mercy. Number two, you're going to find grace. And thirdly, you're going to have help in your time of need. You're going to have help. Mercy, grace, and help. There's three words you need to understand when mercy and grace are together. Mercy, grace, and the third is judgment. You need to know these definitions. So here's this simple definition. Judgment is receiving what you deserve. 
When you receive judgment, you get what you deserve. And none of us want what we deserve, amen? Okay, some of you need to speak up a little bit louder because I don't want what I deserve. I'm grateful for God's mercy, and God's mercy is not receiving what you deserve. If a judge shows mercy on you, you don't get the sentence that you deserve. So you have judgment getting what you deserve, mercy not getting what you deserve, which leads us to the, to the truth of grace, and that is getting what we don't deserve. And I want more grace in my life. I want God to shower his grace upon me. I want you to experience the mercy and the grace of God. I want you to access the help of God. And you do that through prayer. And oftentimes it's through the crisis in life. It's through the wayward child. It's through the move to another state. It is through the financial crisis. It is through the issue at work and the family tension that causes us to recognize our weakness And when we recognize our weakness, we're able to relate with a great high priest, Jesus, who rushes into our lives and ministers his comfort and care. He has compassion on us, and he helps us and builds up in us boldness. Why? So that we can come right into the throne room of grace. So what? We'll find mercy, we'll obtain mercy, find grace, and get the help that we need in that time of need. Prayer is so important. It's where we tap the resources of God. When times are easy, we tend to forget about God, lose sight of his eternal purposes. Times of comfort and ease, times with little pressure, little resistance, builds up a little self-pride in us, self-reliance, maybe even self-sufficiency. You see, God's grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs, but when we are filled with self-sufficiency, we don't tap into the grace of God. We don't enjoy the grace of God. It's in the fires of life, though, that God reveals himself. We begin to see God in a new light and that our desperation grows. We meet him in a new, fresh, bold way, the God of all comfort. And when we have the God of all comfort experiencing that, it's then in the comfort that we give to someone else that what do we do? We bring them boldly to the throne room of grace, whether we intercede for them or we bring them physically to a prayer meeting. God wants you to pray. He desires us to pray, not as some burden, but as a privilege. It's our privilege to enter into the throne room of grace. It's an honor to be welcomed in. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil is referring to the separation of man and the high priest between the high priest and the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the mercy seat. We're going to learn all that soon enough. And that was where once a year the high priest would go in behind the veil and spread the, the blood of the sacrifice once a year for the covering of the sins of all those that related God through the old covenant, all the children of Israel. But when Jesus Christ died, he made the way open to all of us to come directly, boldly into the throne room of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. There's no barrier there anymore. By faith, you and I can rush in. And it doesn't have to be a prayer meeting, although when we have prayer meetings, it would be great for you to come, you know. Um, I was thinking God gave me an illustration even today. As I was driving in, I was listening in today to a Bible study on, the, on abiding in Jesus Christ. It was a great Bible study, and I was, encouraging, I was encouraged by it greatly, but I just felt like, you know, over on, as I was making the turn from Parker to Orchard, I just felt like I needed to put it, put it on pause and just begin to pray and just, just ask God to, 
just start to share things with God praying and uh, as I'm driving into church this morning. And so I did. I prayed and some things were heavy on my mind and, and I had this request. You know, and, and I, I share this with you so you can understand that, that God will hear your prayer no matter what. That just pray. It doesn't matter how you pray, just talk to God. So I, I asked the Lord very specifically. It was a very specific prayer. And I asked God, I said, God, would you just send someone to encourage me today? Someone specifically. Just send someone to, to, to encourage me, to, to bring encouragement in my life. But you know, as I prayed, for, prayed that prayer, I didn't really believe he was going to do it. I just really didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, I'm praying and I'm asking God, but I didn't think it was going to happen. So I made it into the office, parked my car, come up into the office, starting to review my notes, and then I started reading the book, book of Luke. And as I was reading the book of Luke, a text popped up on my iPad, and it was a sister uh, that used to be here. They moved to another state. A sister said, hey, uh, Pastor Ed, just want, and she sent it to me, Marie, and the kids, and she said, I just want to let you know I had a dream about you last night, and so this is my prayer over you. And she shared a scripture in Isaiah that I looked up and started to read, and she prayed for me. And you would think that I would give God the glory right there in that moment of that text message, right? Because he sent encouragement even before I came before you. And that could have been my testimony, but it wasn't. I didn't even acknowledge it. I read the scripture and I didn't even thank God that, man, you already did it. And I'm, it was with, I, 10 minutes ago, I just, not even 10 minutes, I prayed, and, but I didn't do that. So I sat there, I started reading, and there's a, then, I, then I hear a knock on the door. And I didn't really want to answer the door. The door was locked, so whoever was knocking didn't have a key. But I can't hide in there. There's a window on my door. And so, you know, I can't, I, I mean, I probably could way in the corner, hide barely so they don't see me, but they already knew I was in there. So I get up and I look, it's Pastor Avent. I'm like, okay, open up the door, unlock it, come in. He says, Pastor, I just think I, God wants me to come in and pray for you. And I said, sure, let's sit down. We sit down on the couch, on the prayer. He puts his hand on me, begins to pray for me, and then it hit me, then it hit me. Lord, you've answered my prayer. And tears begin to well up in my eyes, and I'm like, yeah, you answered my prayer. You sent... You sent encouragement, and then he reminded me, and, and I, I sent you the text message too. Yes, Lord, you did. You sent me the text message of the scripture. You sent a literal brother right into my office to answer that prayer that I really didn't feel like you were going to answer. And then, if that wasn't enough, I come up right before service, first service, to get things ready for the first baby dedication, come up on the stage, and this kid, Brennan, he goes through those doors and he rushes all the way up. Whew, man, he was fast. All the way up, up the stairs. He had a big white package in his hand. How he passed security, I don't know. <laughs> but Brennan comes up, he runs up and he says, here, here, I want to give this to you. And I said, great, can I open it now? Because when you give me a gift, I don't like waiting till I get home. I want to open it right now. Let's find out what it is. I don't want him to stack up in case more gifts come. I want to open them as they come. <laughs> And so he said, sure, he opened. So we opened it up and it was a little plaque that his mom, Monique, had got for me. And uh, I want to say Brew and Bo got it for me too, but I think Monique got it for me. And it said, it said, uh, the best is yet to come. It was a little plaque. And the Lord was saying, okay, Ed, how much encouragement do you want? I hear your prayers. And listen, and here's, what, here's why it all went down the way it did, I think. Just pray. Don't worry about how much faith you have. Don't worry about how you're feeling. Don't worry if you limit God. God will not be limited by your limitations. He won't be held back by your faithlessness. 
but he does long for you to come in boldly into the throne. And if you can't come boldly, just come anyway. Just share your heart with God. He's a father that loves you. You have a high priest that sympathizes with you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The whole triune God is working on your behalf. Do you know in Romans chapter 8 it says that even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit within us will well up in us groanings that can't be uttered? He hears your prayers. You're not forgotten. Even if the answers wait, even if I didn't experience what I did today, God is still faithful. He still heard my prayer, and he still answered according to his will. But he knows something about me. Now it's all pieced together of what he did in my life just this morning. It's just this morning. But I served at Calvary Chapel in Downey for six, seven years with a pastor who always wanted things in threes. That's just how he was. I wasn't like that. I could do things in ones, but he always wanted things in threes. And so we would always wait for the third confirmation, and then he'd take the step of faith. And I was always impatient with him. I was like, come on, and then when he would do it, I'd go, Pastor Rudy, I knew it was the first time. No, Ed, this is, a, you know, and so he would sit down, son, we're going to wait on the Lord together. And, and even then, as God is reminding me, because we were just looking at this yesterday in the school ministry. We were looking at Hebrews chapter 13 where it says to honor those that rule over you. And that always reminds me of my pastor Jeff and my pastor Rudy who I served with so many years that once again now because of what, because of what God has done in my life, I can just get my phone out and send him a text and say, you see Rudy, all of the discipleship, all the things that you show me, it worked. God is faithful. And it's okay if you wait for three. You taught me something. And God even uses you to this day to remind me that I have a great high priest who can sympathize with me. And he loves me. And I'm no different than you. He can use me as a display of foolishness and faithlessness and weakness. But I embrace it. Because God will meet me where I'm at. And he'll minister his love and his encouragement to me. And I know that when I'm praying for you, and when I hear about you being at the hospital, or I hear about you in a car accident, or I hear about your kids rebelling and being a prodigal, or I hear you're, you know, you're just discomforted because you just moved to town, and it's a big change. When I pray for you, I know, because God will show me time and time again, that he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. And when you say a little prayer to him, he hears you. I want you to leave today knowing that God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. God is, God is faithful. God is faithful to hear you and answer you. Even if you don't get the answer that you want or desire, it doesn't in any way diminish God's faithfulness. We come boldly. Not only does he know our nature, but he knows our needs. He knows us personally. He can tie it all together. He's opened us a way into the very throne room of grace. We're reminded of the glorious privilege of prayer. And our prayer lives take us right in the presence of God no matter where we are. Every time we go, we're going to find help. And we're going to obtain mercy. And we're going to find grace. And we can not only enter in, but we should enter in. Church, we should enter in. Listen, you know, so many years here at Calvary, I think we've had a midweek Bible study now for 15 years. We had it on Thursdays for a while, then Wednesdays. 
And I mean, just in the last few years, this room is packed on a Wednesday night for Bible study. And those of you that have been with us for a while, you know that, that we, we were convicted about our prayer lives. I was convicted as a pastor about my prayer lives a couple years ago and about our prayer life as a church. That so much so that we changed our Wednesday night service to incorporate prayer as a regular practice, not just when pastor prays for a Bible study, but for us as a church. We ended up coming to this place where we call it Give 10. The kids do it in the high school, the kids do it in junior high. I'm sure Michael does it with the kids in women ministries. There's women praying right now during the service. We pray, and so we changed our service on Wednesday nights. We still have Bible study. It's a little bit shorter because we sing together, we pray together, we have communion together every Wednesday, we, we have fellowship with one another, and it's a beautiful thing. It reminds me of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the early church continues steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread, and we do that together on Wednesday night. But you know what happened? The room emptied. Many people that used to come on Wednesday night don't come anymore. And I'm sure there's a variety of reasons, I'm sure. And I can't speak to everyone. But it has been my experience that when there's a call to prayer, there's a hesitancy and a pulling back. And I just believe God wants us not to be hesitant anymore and not to pull back, but to press in, especially in the dark days. Remember Jesus spoke about the need for prayer and fasting. These don't come out except by prayer and fasting. That may be just the issue in your life to develop a new habit of prayer and fasting, to deal with the demonic forces and the oppression that's in your life that you might press in. And I invite you to come back to prayer. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been a part of our midweek study, you know, come back. If you've never been a part of it, then come for the first time. And I get it, you know, it might be uncomfortable and you have to meet, but it's, it creates community, church. There's nothing better about learning about people than praying with them and hearing their hearts. Just this last Wednesday, we were praying for Pastor Wayne. Remember, he was here for the inducted Bible study and he also taught for me last week. Well, Pastor Wayne is really struggling. So as a church, we came alongside of him. He, he, he just took over a, a ministry, the leadership of a church in, in Colorado Springs, but so quickly now, he's got to find a job to help tent make so he can continue to pastor, and now he's going to work full time. And there's some issues that are happening with his grandchildren that are greatly burdening him. We prayed for that. And he's got some personal health issues and things that are going on. And so we have the prayer requests up and we're just interceding so that we could tell him, hey, look, we prayed for you. We didn't just say we prayed for you. Like we set the tone and we interceded for you. We hope you felt it. We hope you experienced it. We hope God ministered to you and we'll continue to remember you. We do that every Wednesday night. Men, you want to come early on Sundays? Men, they pray during first service, during the service. Women pray during second service. There's a prayer room downstairs that's always open and available to pray. It's not, and so I say this not for any other reason than to say this. All that's going on in your life is to draw you closer to God, not to push you away. It's for you to step in and cooperate with the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And it's not to lay some burden on you or some guilt trip, not at all. I just know this, if you will utter five words to God, he'll hear you. 10, he'll hear you. If you wanna devote 15 minutes, he'll hear you. 
If you're the kind that was, loves to pray in your prayer closet, he'll hear you. So much so that he wants to hear you. That he says, come to me, let us reason together. That that's such a key part. And just remember this, this key part of your relationship with God. There's a reward for prayer. You will find grace. You will obtain mercy. You will gain comfort and encouragement. You will be strengthened. You will receive the answer you're desiring. God's will will be accomplished in your life. So rush into the one that's near. Step in to be praying for your community and for your family. Come to our prayer meetings. Gather together with the saints. Stick around and check in on people and ask them how they're doing. Ask them to pray. Ask them to pray for you. Ask how you can pray for them. And rush in to the one who's near to the one who knows, to the one who cares, and the one that can answer your needs according to his will. Amen? Amen. Father, we ask for your goodness and your grace to follow us as we leave, recognizing your great work in our lives. It's amazing. Uh, Poor Saturday nighters, they don't get this illustration because it didn't happen until this morning. But you're able to arrange things in such a way, God, where you get all the glory for the great things you have done. We can't plan things. We can't set it in order. But we can participate and draw near to you and you'll draw near to us. We can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. So I pray for the many needs that are in this room today. Those that are listening live on the radio. They might be listening at a later time on one of the radio stations across the country, Lord. We, we pray, even around the world, quite frankly. We pray, God, that you would meet us here and that you would be revealed to us in a powerful and mighty way, that you would comfort and encourage us. God, that you would have more of us. That would be, you must increase and we must decrease. So help us in that endeavor. Pray for the marriages here, for the men, the women. I pray for the singles. I pray for the young people, God. I pray for those that might not be so young in every stage of life, that we would finish our race. We would run our race well and finish it well. Not because of what we have done, not because of our great and grand good works, but rather in recognition of our weakness where your strength is made perfect. Thank you for this text, for this book of Hebrews. God, may you use it in a way that glorifies you. And I pray for those that are listening to me right now that have never given their life to you, Jesus. They've never asked for the forgiveness of their sins. That today would be the day, the hinge of their life, that they would acknowledge you as the one who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and die for us, who rose again from the dead because you loved us. And not just in the past, but in the present. And not just in the present, but also in the future. That you love us. And that you demonstrated that love on the cross. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day that God is inviting you. There's an episode in the life of Jesus where he was walking by this guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector and he said, you get up and follow me. It was a very public decision in Matthew's life. And I want to invite you in a public way to acknowledge Jesus Christ in your life. 
that if you're here today and, I, and you're maybe downstairs, I don't see you, or even on the radio, you can acknowledge God sees you. I don't, it doesn't have to be me. But for the sake of you in the room here, if you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I need to get my life right with God. I want to repent of my sins. And I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to live for God. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Just acknowledge God today that today would be the day that forever your life has changed. God bless you in the back. Who else would say that's me? That today's the day that, that today, like this, as a matter of fact, you know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I, I just desire you to respond to the Holy Spirit. God bless you in the back as well. That you recognize and I know it's in a real simple way, but that's okay. You recognize in a real simple way that God does love you. And the pressure and resistance that you've been feeling is not because God doesn't love you. It's because you've been fighting. God bless you. Because there's a resistance to sin and rebellion. That's what it is. But God has demonstrated. It's not just the words of a man. It's the demonstration of God. And a, and a church can't save you. A man can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Is there anyone else? Just like the Lord's working in your life right now. And this is the moment. here's what the Bible says. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So pray with me, would you? I'll give you a, you can repeat after me or kind of modify the words with your own life, but you can say something to God like this. You can say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me to die for me and I believe that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to save my soul and I dedicate my life to following him from this day forward help me God to turn away from my sinful past and to live my life honoring you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.